Welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Tony Guerra, pharmacist, publisher, and professional editor, bringing you interviews and advice on succeeding in your residency journey. You can sign up for the email list at pharmacyresidencypodcast.com to get your free LOI template or get editing help working one-on-one with me at residency.teachable.com. Let's get started with the show. All right. Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast. Remember the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I have Derek Delaney on with us today, uh, who is a financial planner. And I wanted to talk to him a little bit about some of the decisions you guys are making. Uh, Some of you are getting offers from the hospitals that you're already in. And you're saying, wow, should I do a residency or should I just take this job? I thought these jobs weren't available. Uh, But now in this unemployment, uh, very, very low unemployment atmosphere, we have it. So Derek, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast. Thank you for having me, Tony. Excited to be here. All right. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? We're actually probably not physically separated by that much. I'm just north of Des Moines, Iowa, and I go up to Duluth uh, once a year uh, to do the Grandma's Marathon. So I'm always up in Minnesota at least once or twice a year. But tell us a little bit about where you're at and uh, how you got into uh, financial planning for pharmacists. Yeah, so we, you're right. We're not too far away. I am about 40 miles north of the Minnesota-Iowa border. So right up 35, I'm sure you go right through my town on your way to Duluth for Graham's Marathon, which I have attended a couple times as well. So that's cool to learn about you. Um, I have lived in Owatonna for almost 10 years now. I grew up in southwestern Minnesota in a small town. So I have lived in Minnesota my entire life. Um, I created my financial planning firm about a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, Before that, I've been in the financial services industry my entire life, straight out of college. It's actually what I went to college to do. So I have taken many different forms of professionalism within the industry where I've worked for investment companies, I've worked for insurance companies, and I've even worked in wealth planning departments at financial institutions um, across Southern Minnesota. Okay, awesome. So you know what you're talking about. That's good. Yes, that's, I know what good. I'm talking that's about. <laughs> All right. So let, let's start with the big question a, a bunch of people have. And what I really want to get to the, the heart of is uh, long-term versus short-term planning. So uh, those that kind of follow the market and are kind of day-to-day are having a heart attack today as the Dow's down 900, S&P's down 112, uh, something like that. And there's other people that are sitting there like, oh, good, it's going to be cheaper this month. Uh, Dollar cost averaging, everything's working out. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about long-term versus short-term planning? Uh, I'm the reason I wanted to bring you on because you're a younger guy, I'm 50. So I'm kind of on the other end of things. And I wanted to make sure that we kind of bridge the gap and help people get to, to where I am, where, you know, I've got this significant net worth and, and uh, all as well. Uh, but tell me a little bit about when you're making a decision like that, whether I should in the short term do this residency, or just kind of take the money and go. Yeah, that's a great question. So my advice to people who are struggling with this is, you want to set a foundation long-term that's going to allow you to control your decisions and emotions short-term. Ah, so yeah. long-term planning, obviously having a long-term outlook is the best approach to almost anything. And when it comes to your money and your financial well-being, that's no different. However, there are a lot of things that happen in the short-term in anybody's life that are going to kind of spin you off the rails, so to speak, from that long-term vision you have for yourself. So it's really, really important from a long-term perspective to write down what you want your life to look like in the future. And then make sure you have that conversation with your spouse or a significant other if you're in that stage of your life and hold each other accountable to that. 
because there's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen in the short term of your life that are going to be very, very appealing to you that long term aren't going to provide the benefits of you getting to where you want to be because of the decisions you make in the short term. So having that long-term vision is going to save you from making dumb short-term <laughs> funny moves, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'd seen the market go down to 14 or 13 back in 2011 and I'm talking about the Dow. So I dumped everything, I think somewhere between 23 and 24,000 when the Dow went down and I'm like, well, it's never going to go back up. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, goes up to 37 and, and now it's where it is. I think 33, but if I had just held steady and had an actual plan instead of just kind of trying to go with the emotion and figure out what was going on, I think that would be better. Um, I want to say it was four or five podcasts ago. If you have a little bit of extra money podcast episode that you did, you talked about a plan. Can you tell me how you kind of approach planning with someone? So right now residents are are going into their applications and they're hopefully going to get a residency. And then other residents are going to go get a job but they don't really have a plan beyond that because what they've just done is, is a huge life change. They've gone from maybe making six or 7,000 a year to a hundred and something a year, or maybe even 40 or 50 a year. Can you tell me a little bit what it, what it looks like to do that plan? And I think you've, I think I've seen a a good worksheet on Facebook that your company has too. Yeah. So financial planning is all about getting clarity and what you ultimately want your future life to look like. Okay. Right. I think uh, one of my favorite books is called The Geometry of Wealth. Um, and the author, I think the name was Brian Portnoy. Okay. And he talks about the, the best thing you could ever achieve financially in life is creating funded contentment for yourself. Right. Because if you always <laughs> want more, you're never going to be satisfied and you're going to make financial decisions and moves that are ultimately going to hinder your ability to get to that point of financial success. Okay. So long term financial planning starts with clarity and what you want your future to look like. What do you value in life? What are your goals? Where do you want to go? And have those milestones in place as something you can shoot toward. And without those, you're just making decisions blind, essentially. And doing that, you're going to contradict yourself from one decision to another. And you're basically going to chase your own tail as far as trying to achieve financial success in the short term without that long-term vision in place to help guide you. I love that expression, funded contentment. Yes. That's, uh, that's, Gosh, right. I just heard something about that where somebody said, you know what, the one thing I have is enough and you don't, will never have enough. And, and yes. I, I can't think of who it was, but uh, I'm sure it'll come to me after this. And so, to, to add on to that, Tony, sorry, to add on to that, I work with a number of different people who have reached retirement now. Mm-hmm. And the difference between the amount of wealth accumulated between one person and another does not determine happiness in retirement at all. Okay. There are people who have very little, but have created a lifestyle that they're extremely happy with. Okay. And that's what I want for anybody who wants to engage me with long-term planning more so than just trying to grow wealth for the fact to solely grow wealth, because that doesn't right. equal happiness long-term. Yeah. I, I've heard the number is maybe 75,000. Maybe it's gone up a little bit since then, but after you make that amount, it doesn't really make you much happier. It, it's uh, There's a certain kind of barrier with that. I, well, would, let's get I, would, I would call BS on that. Um, <laughs> respectfully, I, I have, I don't think that's true at all in my experience working with people. Oh, really? I think more money will make them a, happier. <laughs> the threshold nowadays is a lot higher than 75,000 okay. for a family household, in my opinion. Okay. No, I, I, um, 
I did talk to somebody that said uh, he he started a business, the bank wouldn't fund him, and then now he's making about four hundred thousand a year. And he said, "This four hundred thousand is where happiness is because when I want like the seventy five thousand dollar car, it's just an I just buy it, yep. and when I you know I have peace of mind." And I, I think that that was the the big thing is is peace of mind. So let's talk a little bit about that, because I think that contentment, uh, having a plan, all of these are really talking about peace of mind. Yes. Um, let, let's maybe talk a little bit about housing market 2023. So there's, you know, the doom and gloom for whatever reason. I see a lot of fire on the YouTube channel. Like there's always fire behind it. You know, the, the housing market's burning. <laughs> and those of us that own houses with a low percentage rate are like, this is great. Taxes yeah. are not going to go up. It's fantastic. I don't want the, the prices to go up in my county to, to charge me, uh, you know, more taxes or anything like that. So this is fine for me. Um, but tell me a little bit about someone who might be graduating this year or thinking about buying a home next year. Um, how do you kind of set that into the plan? So uh, great question. I always tell people when it comes to making those big decisions, those big purchases, make sure you are paying yourself first. Okay. And you make the loan payments of those big decisions fit into your budget after that. Okay. So I have seen many times where pharmacists graduate and now all of a sudden they've come into the type of income they've never experienced before right. because they came from a modest income household, which happens right. a lot in the Midwest. Sure. Right. And then all of a sudden they graduate and now they're making six figures, which is more than their mom and dad ever dreamt of making in their entire life. Right. And the first thing they want to do is to build their stature in, in the economy and go out and buy that nice car and that big house. Yeah. And what happens is those loan payments suck into their cash flow and it okay. limits their ability to do a lot of other things. So I always okay. tell people, first and foremost, if you're going to make those big purchases, specifically a house, even if that house is overpriced right now and interest rates are really high, make sure you pay yourself first. Okay. So you have what you're going to make deduct all the, the benefits you're going to take advantage of at work, subtract what you think you're going to take in taxes and what you're going to put away in a 401k, and then take a good slice of what's left over and allocate that to you. And whether okay. that's going to do a savings account or a checking account and whatever else you have left over in that budget, that's what you can use to go hunting for something like a house or a nice car or any other big purchase you might want to explore in life. Okay. All right. So after the, the house tends to come, well, should I, and then it, I get that the answer is always, it depends, but uh, this is coming down now. So Utah is now giving free tuition for students uh, in their first year. Uh, there's now five pharmacy schools that allow in-state tuition for out-of-staters, uh, and, and that's becoming a trend. But the average right now is about 175 coming out of a pharmacy school. And this is kind of an emotional thing for many people, which is they don't have peace of mind because that that uh, student loan is hanging over them. And if in 2018, they had bought a house instead of gotten the student loans, they would have enjoyed mass appreciation. Yep. If they had paid off the student loans instead of buying the house, they would have run into a market that's much more expensive to buy the house. Yep. So dumb luck, luck of the draw, whatever. How do you deal with, as a planner and helping these people, how do you deal with kind of that, those things that just keep coming together and they keep kind of like, well, is it here or here? Where, where does the money go? Um, that's a great point. I always just personally, and this is different for each client I interact with, but the one thing I want to make sure is we want to first go after that debt as much as we possibly can. 
Okay. I mean, that's my opinion. So if you want to buy a house and you have a lot of student loans and you're going to be paying on those student loans for a while, because you're not going to be able to take advantage of something like mm -hmm. public service loan forgiveness. Yeah. Go after that debt. Cause that debt is going to affect your ability to go get a loan for a house and to go right. get a car. And it's going to affect your ability to save at a higher rate later on in life. And I have found that opportunities when it comes to buying a house and different things, it's all cyclical, like everything in our economy. Yeah, sure. So if you can take care of things that you can take care of right now, like debt and get that lower and prepare yourself by maybe building up a little bit of cash and building your net worth and creating more financial flexibility for yourself. It gives you the opportunity to jump when those next opportunities present themselves as that economic cycle continues to churn. Okay. Um, you've got Dave Ramsey who recommends a very different path, the, the snowball, which is pay your smallest one off first. And credit card interest rates have absolutely, my wife and I don't carry any rates or any balance, so we don't really see this. But uh, my understanding is that credit card rates are higher than they've ever been. But more concerning is that the debt carried on credit card rates or credit cards has gone up significantly as well. Um, how, how have you helped people successfully, you know, kind of navigate getting those credit card debts paid off or getting those credit cards done. Because once you do, it just changes your life really. Oh, you that habit. I mean, with, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't, doesn't Dave Ramsey say that live like nobody else today. So you can live like nobody else in the future. Meaning I think that's it. Yeah. Suck it up forego all the nice fancy things you want in life today mm -hmm. and for the near term. Mm -hmm. Take care of all that debt, get rid of all the bad stuff financially that you know deep down is bad and it's going to hurt you right. in the future. Because once you get all that stuff cleared off your plate, it's going to open up a tremendous amount of opportunity for you. And the sooner you can do that and the younger that opportunity exposes itself to you and you take advantage of it, you let the benefits compounding take over. And that is going to make a huge difference 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But some people never get to that point because they let that debt linger. Oh, so yeah. So suck it up, create a really, really tight budget for go buying a big house or for go buying that new car, get that debt taken care of. I know it's going to suck. I know it's not going to be a fun and exciting thing to hear, but truly for financial well-being purposes, that's what you're going to want to do. Awesome. So we've talked about credit cards, talked about houses. Let's talk about the car market. <laughs> oh, yes. I love this one. So, so this is what my understanding of the car market. So the used car market has dropped, especially in wholesale. And now that's kind of spilling over to retail mm -hmm. so that when you go in to try to trade, they, even, even if they have a car on the lot, that's the exact same car. They'll say, well, that, that car is worth 20,000, but the car on the lot's 25,000. Yeah. Well, I can only give you 20,000 for it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, bad news uh, for a Toyota um, Sequoia. You know, they, they didn't have chips, so we've only got five of those, you know, and we just don't have a bunch of them. So we're going to ask 10 over 10,000 over MSRP. So let me get this straight. You're going to lowball me on the on the on the car I'm bringing you. You're yeah. going to go over MSRP on the car I'm trying to buy. And we're supposed to be going into a recession with one of the you know worst economic situations or whatever. So tell me a little bit about car buying and, and how somebody could could come out a little bit better on that. Yeah. So I think it's important for people to know that car dealerships and car salesmen and women have never had more leverage than they've ever had in their life these past couple of years. Yeah. Due to all the money flowing into the economy and where mm -hmm. interest rates were at and the cost of borrowing and everything else, that is getting very, very close to being over. 
Yeah. I mean, you look at the luxury car market right now, you're seeing tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars being knocked off of prices of vehicles. I'm I'm not seeing the Bugatti. I'm not seeing the Bugatti in my in my town, but but I get you. <laughs> so in, in used cars and more modest vehicles, the type that we would purchase, mm-hmm. um, those I think are going to start showing severe price declines here moving into spring and summer. Okay. And the That's what I'm hearing. For, and yeah. for the biggest reason for that is because dealerships and car salesmen or car dealerships, mm-hmm. they love to turn their in, 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 inventory over as fast mm-hmm. as they possibly can. Sure. And that statistic is severely starting to slow down um, quite a bit. And I have talked to some people who work at car dealerships just locally around Southern Minnesota, and they mm-hmm. are finally starting to get worried about 2023 for those specific reasons. And to use a personal case, I have wanted to buy a new pickup truck uh, for quite some time. Uh, going back a year and a half. And I okay. created a plan for myself and for my wife that we're taking a little bit of our excess income and mm-hmm. we're saving it in a liquid account. It's not earning a whole lot, but we're building that up because yep. I think this summer prices are going to come down and buyers are finally going to have the leverage that they used yeah. to have that they haven't seen in the last two years. Mm-hmm. If you have a pile of cash available, you're going to be able, in my opinion, to get really, really good deals if you can go at it at the right time. Yeah, no, which is my, what I plan to do this summer. I agree. My my wife really wants that Toyota Sequoia, but uh, I I talked to her. I was like, look, if we can just wait till quarter two or quarter three, I think that it would be a completely different ball game. And and hopefully, hopefully that's that's the case. Okay, so we've covered jobs, housing. Um, let's talk a little bit about what what your expertise really is, or you one of your uh, expert areas is. And that's kind of the retirement and the finish line. Yes. Um, it sounds like you're pretty good at accelerating the finish line by saying, well, you don't need that much because this is where you want to be. So tell me a little bit about, I guess it's, I don't really know much about the fire movement and those types of things, but my understanding is that the, the short of it is um, you're really talking about getting to that retirement a lot earlier than, than you otherwise would. So, so tell me maybe uh, if you have a, a success story or, or how does someone start looking at their forties or maybe even thirties as, as a possibility of, of finishing up? I, I mean, thirties, you're really pushing it. People okay. say they can get you retired in yep. your thirties, specifically if you're a pharmacist and you've been yeah. in school and you're paying off student loan debt, that's pretty sure. much out of the question. Okay. In my opinion, I have yep. never seen it. Forties. Now you're getting to the point where late in your forties, I actually have, um, clients of mine right now who are in phenomenal financial position to have flexibility from a job standpoint in their late forties, moving into their early fifties. Okay. So people in that mind frame, I don't like to call it retirement. I like to call it um, job flexibility, being able to pull the retirement trigger when you want to, because what I have found Tony is people who don't need their job from an income standpoint, they do it because they enjoy it are a lot more happier and tend to work longer than people who work because they need the income because they haven't saved enough. Yeah, my wife and I are in that same position right now. We we got two offers for $35,000 bonuses if we would just work for such and such company for two years. And we're like, no. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> we're, we're happy where we are and, and those types of things. But you can't get to that point in your life unless you have good long-term retirement planning. When you talk about retirement or when you're talking about taking a step back from an mm-hmm. income standpoint because your employment changes, there are a lot of factors you need to consider because once you make that move, you're probably not going to want to go back 
that mm -hmm. would be the worst possible case scenario. And yeah. if you're not smart on when you make the decision and how your finances are lined up before you make that decision, it could be catastrophic for some people because the last thing you want to do is to get a taste of that retirement or job flexibility. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And have to go back to retail pharmacy where you're working weekends every other one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's some jobs that are fundamentally incompatible with being a present parent. And it's not like you, you mentioned two hours late for school. It's not like when the schools are two hours late, they let all the employers in town know, hey, bad news. All the parents are going to be coming in two hours late. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. Oh, exactly. So um, I've asked you a bunch of questions. Uh, is there any just kind of overarching advice that you want to, not maybe advice, but maybe a, a pearl or, or something that you want to uh, let people know as they're kind of going to and through residency. Um, yeah. They're in their 20s. And yeah. man, I wish I could have just a, a 30 minute conversation with myself in my 20s. Uh, I would, I would have been done by now. <laughs> so I, I, I agree that there are two things that I would promote to any current student or anybody who's just entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. The first thing is, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. Being smart does not make you better with money. It does not create more financial success for you in the future. And yeah. the question I always propose for people who push back on that is, if being smart was the reason why people succeed with money or don't succeed with money, why doesn't everybody have success with money? Because all their financial questions can be answered by Google. And everybody's got <laughs> access to Google, right? Yeah. So the question is, why isn't everybody financially successful if smarts was the primary reason of being successful or not from a money standpoint? And the reason is, in my opinion, and I know there's research that backs this up, is because we don't make decisions specifically with money with the logic side of our brain. We make our decisions with the emotional side of our brain. I think right. over 90% of the decisions we make are driven by emotion. And embedded inside the emotional decisions we make is our subconscious and embedded inside of that are habits and money scripts that we developed at a very, very young age that will always supersede and trump the logical side of our brain when it comes to making decisions about money, specifically when you're talking long-term. Yeah. So that is why I am always a big proponent. Even when you're young, find somebody that you can rely on, whether that's hiring a financial professional who's qualified, don't just hire the, the insurance salesman on the corner. Um, or find somebody that you really trust who could be a mentor for you when it comes to how you manage your money. Because that person is not going to be emotionally as driven from a financial aspect as you are. They're going to use the logical side of your brain. And you can use somebody who's qualified that can use the logical side of your brain and mix it or the logical side of their brain and mix it with the emotional side of your brain. That's where financial magic happens. So when you're young, don't think you can know it all. Don't think you can do all the research online because people have tried that already and it never ends well. Find a partner you can count on or hire somebody that can use the logical side of their brain to help you make smart money decisions. So that's number one. Number two is never forget about taxes. Yeah. So over the course of my career, when I was working like an insurance company and investment firms, all they want you to do is go out and sell, right? Mm-hmm. Insurance companies are great about, well, the biggest expense you're going to um, experience in retirement at some point is medical expenses. So you're going to want to buy all these insurances to make sure that risk is taken care of, right? Right. Well, the reality is, in my opinion, the number one expense people have in retirement after they built up a really good nest egg are taxes. Sure. What we're finding right now is a lot of people did a tremendous job saving in places like IRAs and 401ks. 
And now they're going to be able to pay themselves an income that's going to be very similar to what they had while they were working. And their tax situation is either not going to go down or it might go up in the future because all their money that they're going to pull out of those accounts when they're in retirement will be taxed. Right. Even worse than that, Tony, is at some point when people get to retirement, they want to be able to leave a legacy to their kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have that goal, right? And the IRS has done a wonderful job and Congress has done a wonderful job over the last couple of years of changing the rules that are in place that make it much more difficult for people to inherit money through accounts like 401ks and IRAs. The estate taxes. The estate taxes and Mm -hmm. then income tax because you're forced to take money out of those accounts as an inheritor within a specific period of time. Oh, yeah. And if your kids are at their prime earning years, they're probably going to be in their highest tax brackets, which means if you have multiple kids and you leave, you know, 500,000 or a million dollars of your money to your three kids and they're in their prime earning years, guess who becomes the biggest beneficiary of your entire nest egg after you go? U.S. government. The U.S. government, the IRS. Yeah. Nobody, nobody set out to have that be the case when they started saving young. Yeah. So as you're saving money, as you're accumulating your wealth, make sure to always understand what the long term tax consequences are going to be to your investment decisions and make sure that you're not overextending yourself in any type of tax liability that your future self is going to wish you didn't do. That makes a lot of sense. That makes so a lot of sense. Find somebody you can trust and always keep an eye on the taxation, the future taxation of the decisions you make today with your money. Sure. All right, Derek Delaney, thank you so much for being on the Pharmacy Residency Podcast. Great being here. Thanks for having me, Tony. Thanks for listening to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You might also like to check out our available residency audiobooks at pharmacyresidencypodcast.com forward slash books, where you can get your first book free if you've never been on Audible before, or work one-on-one with me as a professional editor at residency.teachable.com. Feel free to send an invite to connect with me, Tony PharmD, on LinkedIn, or email me at tonythepharmacist at gmail.com with questions. Music was by Policy.